0: because he pointed that out
1: headquarters to all units headquarters to all units all units stand by for on patrol with the ppd airing now on wtdr 89.7 fm Good morning, thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. Today is Friday, March 25th, 2022. Uh, my name is Mike Wynn. I'm the Chief of Police here in the City of Pittsfield and one of the co-hosts, co-producers of this purportedly weekly radio program. I am excited to have a new special guest in studio this morning. But before we get to our guest, let's uh, get a check of the weather and we'll talk about a couple news items and then we'll start the show.
2: Sure, <laughs> Weather WTBR forecast from berkshireweather.com for friday march 25th greetings today partly cloudy a high of 53 with drizzle tonight mostly cloudy a low of 35 with drizzle tomorrow cloudy a high of 47 with rain or snow showers that's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to brookshireweather.com. I'm Jacob Klein from WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone!
1: I can't help it. Jacob's weather reports make me smile, even when they contain bad news. Uh, listening to the news cycle this morning, we are definitely in that part of spring where it's in like a lion and out like a lamb. Seems like we're going to have 30-degree temperature swings over the next couple of days. Yay. Hate that part. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Matthew Hill, who's running the board. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Smart Gary Munn is over there coaching him. And I'm going to hold off on introducing our special guest for just a moment. <clears throat> Things in the news, as we have for the last several weeks, You know, I think we need to lead off with the situation in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. Um president biden issued a warning yesterday to the russians regarding the use of chemical and or biological weapons i uh, won't we'll say he, he drew a red line but he indicated that that's a that's a hard stop and it'll change our approach what that change might be he didn't indicate but um situation is uh quagmire and uh let's hope that the negotiators reach some resolution sooner rather than later also included in that announcement was um indication for the United States to receive 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. I thought that was a little interesting because that's a distinctly different posture than we took after our withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, with Afghan refugees, including our partner forces and interpreters. So um, that seems that seems a little odd, but that's just my observation. Also in the news, the uh, shooting trial, of defendants Douglas and the continues in the shooting of um, Nick Carnivali strange developments in that one I, I'm not going to get into the details you can read in this morning's Berkshire Eagle the article um, but it appears that additional evidence came to light after the trial had originally started and now they have to um, they have to entertain motions on whether that evidence is going to be allowed in since the discovery process is already closed it's very unusual Uh, What else did I want to talk about from the news? There's a couple other items. Let me just find this real quick. Bear with me. Oh, yeah, um, related to the economy. I thought this one was interesting. I was listening to a a local news article about this on Wednesday. It was curious. um, Massachusetts Senate voted to reject a suspension of the gas tax, the state gas tax. And well, the reasons for doing it seem to make sense, it just seems odd because surrounding states have already done this, at least temporarily. So um, while they're concerned about the future of revenue projections, if people are just driving over the border to New York, Connecticut, or Vermont, they get gas, that doesn't seem like a fully formed logical argument. But I, I don't know. I'm just a cop, so we'll see the economists and legislature work that out. And then the final one I wanted to talk to you about is there's an interesting article uh, on page A6 in today's Berkshire Eagle, um, featuring my colleague Chief Daryl fennelly of the Stockbridge Police Department, and I just draw your attention to this because this is kind of the unanticipated and untold consequences. We spend quite a bit of time on the show talking about the. Impacts of police reform legislation, and my work on the post commission. Um, but one of the things that was included in the legislation that, again, you know, I I don't know that people fully realized the impact of this is because of the increased training standards and certification standards. It's basically become impossible for reserve intermittent trained officers to continue to work and for communities that have historically relied on these part-time officers to fill shifts that's no longer an option and so the only available path forward is to add additional full-time officers which means full-time salaries and full-time benefits or to attempt to fill those empty shifts with overtime and overtime is expensive financially but it's also expensive in terms of wear and tear and burnout on the officers and so chief Fennelly is uh, requesting that they increase the size of his department by one and uh it's you know it it's not a it's not a decision that they they wanted to make easily and so um uh, you know you're gonna pay it up front or you're gonna pay it on the back end but in these prior to police reform pittsfield was the only department in berkshire county that didn't have any part-time police officers Um, every one of these departments is going to have to deal with this new reality. Uh, And it's going to come with a cost. And the Commonwealth is not footing the bill for this cost. So um, more to come on that. We are deep in budget season. I think we're going to see more stories like that. But check out that article. All right. That's enough in the news. Let's get to our guest. So I am pleased to have in studio this morning, Mr. Andy Camby. Mr. Camby is uh, the comparatively new director of public health for the city of pittsfield um andy and i I i'll let andy talk a little bit about kind of how we met and how our professional tracks have meshed over the last several years um but you know andy is is a great addition to the, the city's management team and uh he's the next generation of leadership coming up in the city and i was thrilled to find out that lieutenant hill had convinced him to join us so good morning andy Good morning, Chief. Uh, Good morning, Lieutenant Hill. Thank you for having me here. How are you today? Doing
0: good. Excited to be here.
1: Sharply dressed on a Friday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You knew you were going to be on television. Exactly.
0: That's why. Always dressed to impress. I don't
1: (laughs) care about this television appearance on Friday anymore. I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Matt, remind me at the end of the show, I want to uh, take a couple minutes to talk about my interesting day yesterday, but I don't want to keep Andy waiting anymore. So we'll we'll wrap up with that. So Andy, normally when we have somebody in studio, we like to get to know them a little bit before we start talking about work. So for our viewers and listeners at home, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, you know, where you grew up, what your family's like, what brought you to Pittsfield.
0: Right. So I was born in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, moved out here to Ber- the Berkshires when I was five. Uh, started in South County in Great Barrington. So I um, went through school there all of the way up to Monument High School and then I moved up to Pittsfield, uh, did BCC there and then I've stayed there ever since. So I've been in Pittsfield for about 13 or 14 years. Um, So that's kind of the background of how I got here. Um, You know, I came here through uh, my parents uh, and now, uh, you know, they helped me come out to, uh, they wanted to get me out of the city. Uh, They were looking for uh, better opportunities for me. So um, that's how, you know, we decided to move out here. My dad had a a job at a restaurant, Castle Street Cafe down in South County. Um, And that's kind of what made us move here. And ever since we've been here, you know, I love it here. Um, So I'm here to stay.
1: What was high school like for you? High
0: school was um, very interesting. I did soccer. Um, I enjoyed just everybody was very welcoming in the community. Um, I was one of the only his, Hispanic people. Uh, pretty much when I moved out here in 95, it was like two or three families. So though I felt a little uh, shy about my, my being, my belonging there, I was able to, uh, I was greeted by great teachers and uh, facility members that were just able to welcome me and the soccer team, they're all very welcoming. So yeah, I, you know I feel welcome.
1: Do you still play soccer? No. no, Yeah,
0: that stopped a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> Is
1: that something you you think about or reconsider?
0: Uh, I reconsider, but, you know, just not, not, not ready to get back into that.
1: Okay. So you graduated from Monument, mm-hmm. and then you came up uh, to Central Berkshire, to Pittsfield, to yep. start at Berkshire Community College. Shout out to Berkshire Community College. Thank you, my—or lo- you're welcome, my lovely wife. <laughs> um, what, did you study at BCC? I did liberal arts. Okay. Yeah,
0: I did liberal arts, um, and then I had a full-time job uh, working at uh, Link to Life, that medical alert button for the elderly. So I worked in the call center there uh, for five years, and then um, you know it w- it's funny how I ended up leaving that job. It was just the uh, I it was pretty much a call center operator. Uh, there wasn't much mo- there wasn't much advancement in there, um, and I had been there for five years, and I had put in a request for some time off. And like three months ahead of time and and it was denied so you know emotions with me I was like oh well it doesn't make sense you know they told me that it was because someone else had they that uh, they off too but again there was like 13 14 operators and within the ship so I was like this this seems more like something just like personal so I just you know something I never done just with my emotions just said you know what here's my two weeks I'm leaving and I started looking for employment and that's how I came to the city of Pittsfield um, to start working with the health department.
1: So when you you had a liberal arts degree Mm -hmm. and you decided to change jobs so Mm -hmm. you decided to apply for a job with the city of Pittsfield and what was your first position with the city?
0: Uh, My first position was the nuisance control officer. Uh, So that meant dealing with exterior property maintenance uh, around the city Um, so it was a very uh, interesting job because every day was very different you know every day was a new a new house a new building that we were looking into uh, to make sure that they were in, in compliance with the exterior property maintenance
1: so I am the last person who should be asking you to explain yourself because like you my my undergraduate background stuff was in liberal arts <laughs> but it, it liberal arts degree to nuisance control officer that seems that seems like a leap
0: yep It was a leap uh, because I didn't, coming into public health, uh, I really didn't understand at the beginning. Um, I was kind of just, you know, I was 24, 25. uh, But what I was looking for was to advance my professional career. I was looking for that opportunity, that growth, because uh, my work ethic is, you know, I'm always working, uh, always looking to to make sure that I'm I'm making, uh, you know, making my job proud. Uh, so that was definitely something that was interested, motivated me to find a job. And and I remember during the interview uh, with my predecessor Gina Armstrong, I, I mentioned to her I was like, listen, i I'm, I want to make sure that this opportunity, while it's an entry position, that I have uh, an opportunity to grow. And you know, it was a very different work environment than what it was before the, my previous job. You know, this job was very welcoming with opportunities with getting me into trainings. Um, so that's where I kind of developed my interest in public health, but not just public health but public service because I found a lot of uh, joys in being pu- a public servant, um, working with the community, working with business owners, working with residents. Um, so I did that for a couple of years with different positions and then I ended up at MCLA. Um, I did the business course, the bachelor's there for and, uh, leadership. Um, so I ended I graduated in 2020 so I did that further on and again the city helped with that education you know they, they helped they were motivating me to do that
1: yeah we're going to come back to your MCLA mm-hmm. time in a couple minutes but yeah. I want to I want to go back to nuisance control officer mm-hmm. so the first thing I want to make sure our viewers and, and listeners are aware of is that the position of nuisance control officer is a relatively new addition to to city services um I know that the health department has always had a responsible for nuisance control and code enforcement, but it was kind of something that was collaterally assigned and um, many departments would would come together on like a as needed basis to kind of look at this, but it it wasn't something that anybody was necessarily looking at all of the time. So bringing you on in that capacity was a a shift. uh, And you kind of alluded to a little bit about the you know nuisance control looks at exterior property stuff and i know what you're talking about uh, and i know you know lieutenant hill knows what you're talking about because when i was officer when it was officer hill this was the type of stuff we would get assigned to do um but i don't know that everybody who is listening or certainly for our listeners and viewers in pittsfield they may not be aware of this and if you're listening outside of the pittsfield area this may not even be of of concern to you but it, we're when we say exterior property stuff, we're talking about things like um, not, main, you know, not maintaining the property. The, the grass is too long, or uh, improper storage of trash, or um, well, joint responsibility for this with fire unregistered vehicles uncovered on property. Correct. What kind of other things would you look at as the nuisance control officer?
0: So what we also have looked at is, uh, like, if there's pile of debris, whether it be just uh, trash debris or wood debris or just branches, all that stuff, we would cite that. For reasons is because it could be a road and harborage. So that's kind of where the public health comes into it, where we wait, want to make wait a sure. Minute.
1: You can't say a term like rodent harborage and not <laughs> offer an explanation. Right.
0: So, <laughs> you know, the pile of debris that we observe on a property, that is where the rodents will likely seek shelter. And that's where they'll go in and, and make their own little shelter, Bring, go out, get food, bring it into that little shelter. So anything that you have on your property that can be considered rodent harborage, meaning that that's where they're seeking shelter, that's what we want to eliminate again just for the well-being of their their own residents
1: so this could be if we're in in a residential neighborhood Mm -hmm. small lots this could be uh a pile of yard debris right exactly windfall or stuff like that Mm -hmm. or if somebody's doing a renovation construction debris or it could be trash it could be refuse right right but it's not being removed so it's attracting
0: wildlife yep exact rodents anything because again in in under that under that pile, that's where they'll, they'll have their warmth and, and, and they'll be uh, hidden, so they'll and, thrive on that.
1: And so if you, you live in a relatively rural section of the community or you live in a section of the community with large lots and this little wood pile is at the back of your property line and it's hundreds of yards to your neighbor and there's a tree line right there, maybe no big deal, no harm, no foul. But if you live on a standard lot in a residential neighborhood and it's literally feet to your neighbor's home, That could be an issue. Exactly. All right. So when you started as the nuisance control officer and you had to go to people's homes Mm -hmm. and knock on the door and politely and tactfully say, clean this mess up, how did that go?
0: So my approach has changed, of course, over the years. You know, first it was, you know, do this, do that. And while I would get some compliance, I would also get some pushback. So now what I've understood to do is just to make sure that I give them the Whole picture of like I just mentioned to you if can we please get rid of this uh, pile of debris because again this is what's attracting the rodents that you're having in your house you know sometimes uh, residents will not um, will not see the whole picture about it you know as far as you know let's make sure your foundation is also weather tight rodent proof, so that we're not getting any rodents inside once that the we the cold weather comes in so my approach has changed to uh, education And to giving them the whole picture of of why we need to do that. And, you know, that's gone all the way up to this position.
1: So you got to give them the why. The why, exactly. Elicit that Mm because I think you and I had a conversation about that sitting in 66 Allen Street one night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, how long did you serve as the nuisance control officer?
0: Uh, About half a year and then I moved to sanitarian. Okay, so what
1: does a sanitarian
0: do? Sanitarians are, uh, they do ins- also inspectional services, but we do restaurant inspections, uh, pool, ins- uh, pool inspections, public pools, uh, even camp inspections for the children during the summer, housing inspections, we actually go inside the house and help uh, you know, with tenant and landlord issues. Uh, there's a state sanitary code that we enforce, which are the minimum requirements that a landlord must provide to their tenants uh, for, a le- for a safe uh, home environment. Um, so they do, uh, we do inspections of that. So it, the, the inspectional services just range out from uh, nuisance control to a sanitarian.
1: So what, what is encompassed within inspectional services and how many departments are part of that team? Uh, So there's the,
0: uh, with the health department we have our uh, five inspectors, but uh, for instance the building department, they have their inspectional services too, um, which they also do their regulatory um, enforcement too. So within, what it comes to our inspectional services is that we go out there, we cite, but we also do enforcement and then we finish up as far as making sure that there is um, compliance. So, and we do that all in house. Uh, You know, sometimes we do have to take them to housing court, a landlord to housing court, but rarely. You know, we try to take care of it in house.
1: So, again, for our viewers and listeners who may not be um, may not be aware, if you're looking at a multifamily dwelling, uh, landlord-tenant property, and you have to do inspections, what are the types of health-related issues you're looking for?
0: So. First and foremost, we want to make sure that they have their uh, smoke and CO detectors on site uh, operable. Uh, We also make sure that they should make sure that all exits are available, that they're not crowded either by debris or furniture, that everything's um, accessible. Uh, Make sure that there is uh, all the maintenance of the hot water, the heat, all that is functioning. Uh, You know, even a hole in the wall, we, we would cite. As as a violation, Uh, so kind of just going through that that checklist uh, within their property, making sure that everything is intact and functioning. Um, You know the minimum standards
1: that we request. So, do during a a, in residential inspection Mm -hmm. is um, does lead paint belong to health or to buildings? Yes,
0: no health. uh, Lead paint belongs to,
1: yeah. All right, so. How long did you serve as the sanitarian?
0: Uh, yeah. A sanitarian. Sanitarian. Yep. A sanitarian. So half
1: a year and as a code enforcement officer, yep. and a year as a sanitarian. Yep. You're just moving on up,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was, it was great, and, and and along that time, you know, I was taking on any trainings, shadowing in the previous uh, positions there too. Um, so I was very eager. Um, and then that's when I moved up to senior sanitarian.
1: And you were in school at this time.
0: Uh, once I became senior sanitarian, that's when I started school back again. Because again, I saw my vision. I saw that I needed to move on and then get my higher education. And continue that. All
1: right. So uh, before we we wrap up sanitarian and move on to your your education and your next step within mm-hmm. health, um, you kind of you talked about the residential inspections. You talked about camp inspections. San- the sanitarians also do kitchen inspections, right? Restaurant, Re- restaurant inspections? inspections. Yeah. Um, And so I, you know, in addition to you, I know a couple other people uh, who have spent time in the health department in that role. And I got to say, you know, having off-duty interactions, uh, social interactions with the inspectors and listening to them talk about work not necessarily one of my favorite things because every once in a while a restaurant I enjoy going to will come up in those conversations and sometimes I just rather I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> right
0: yeah no I, I get that and and you no know, from our from our end we want to make sure that we are on constant communication with the restaurant owner and, and educating them and, and making sure that they are they up they uphold their, their their standards that we require them to do
1: so you're Elevated to senior sanitarian, and you decide it's time to go back to school, mm-hmm. get your uh, get your four year degree. So you decide to go to MCLA. Yeah,
0: finish my uh, for, finish yeah, your four year degree. it yep. my bachelor's. Um,
1: and you you were in the degree completion program, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So t- tell us a little bit about your MCLA experience. Again, I was looking
0: for something that was I still wanted to work full time, um, and I, it took me a couple months to to find something. Uh, I think at that point it was this the first. Cohort was just finishing up at MCLA, so I think I was the second one, um, and they had just moved across the street from the police station. Um, they were setting shop up there, um, and I think some of the classes were actually even held at the federal building. So they were in that transition uh, time. But again, the reason I, I chose MCLA was because it was it, it worked with my work schedule and it was easily accessible, where I could just walk there uh, across City Hall or walk to the federal um and and they had a program that was that i could go full-time throughout the whole year and do i finished in about two and a half years so feasible uh affordable and and, and again what i was looking for exactly was leadership you know the, the the leadership courses that they provided uh and finishing up a bachelor's in that in, in business so it, it had it had it checked all the boxes
1: so it took you about two and a half years uh-huh and it's i it's you know the pandemic changed everything but um if i remember correctly those cla- well i know that those classes are hybrid right you did some stuff in person but you had the opportunity to do some stuff you know online or virtually or just to submit your assignments via chat and stuff like that but usually depending on your course load two two class meetings a week yes yeah, two, two classes two, yeah two days and, yeah, and thursdays <laughs> and um in the if you're if you're full-time enrolled in the degree completion program, is that the course load, two classes per term? Yes. Okay. Yep. So two classes per term in basically the business administration program, leadership track, and it took you two and a half years to finish that? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because it was a yeah. full year. Yeah, right. yeah, it worked, yeah. I didn't yeah. get it's a, that long summer break or that yeah. long winter break,
1: yeah. The week, week, <laughs> week-long breaks in between yeah. before you fire up another term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have limited experience with the mcla degree completion program i had the the benefit i had the privilege of having you in one of my classes mm-hmm. um i think that's probably when we spent the most time together you know during our professional parallel tracks um but that that is an impressive program it's an impressive you know even as a kind of limited participant like i would walk in to you know uh, the 60, 66 Allen, and our class uh, met in the evening hours. And there would be a class finishing that people would be on their way out and a two or three classes going on at the same time elsewhere in the building. And um, not everybody was in the business program, so we would see people working on projects with all kinds of different focuses. And I don't remember which program it was, but one of the programs – had to like do an evening where they set up all of their essentially capstone work and show it off to the rest of the cohort. Mm-hmm. So we'd be walking in between classes or on a break and there would be these massive projects lining the halls. Right. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, it wasn't all business administration or leadership, some of it was um, in very esoteric disciplines. It was fascinating uh, and there was bunches of people enrolled in each of those cohort groups at any given time
0: right yeah it, it was very impressive especially for being the first couple of years that they had started and and it was very professional all the uh students were also you know they came from all different backgrounds which again makes the experience even better because we're getting that in-class conversations with these students that have uh different jobs and and they can bring their experience that we can take in and, and learn from that so it was it, great
1: and relatively small class sizes. Yes, I think you know mm-hmm. I worked with two different cohort groups, and I don't think I ever had ten people in a in a class. It, it was um, seven or eight at a time for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, it, it, I've had I've had the opportunity to be associated with a lot of institutes of higher learning. It, it is not an easy program. The academic demands that the dean and uh, the program manager insist that people adhere to are rigorous Mm -hmm. um you know they they have to protect the reputation of the institution but to be going through a program like that uh well either employed full-time which i think in my two cohorts represented the majority of um of my students or be a single parent working part-time and going to school full-time which it's several uh s- several women who fit into that group uh a couple people who were transitioning careers retiring from their first their first career and looking to set themselves up for success in a follow-on career uh, and then a couple people who uh, were recent immigrants and even um struggled some with, with language. So it, it it was a diverse group with very, very interesting participants. I, I loved uh, the couple of semesters that I spent with the degree completion program. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. This is probably a good time for us to break for another check of the weather and station identification and a couple of PSAs. And we'll come back in the second half of the show and we'll learn a little bit about senior sanitary... Senior sanitarian, uh, and kind of where you were when the world stopped at the outset of the pandemic.
2: Here is your WTBR forecast from BrookshireWeather.com for Friday, March 25th. Greetings! Today, Partly cloudy, a high of 53 with drizzle. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a low of 35 with drizzle. Tomorrow, cloudy, a high of 47 with rain or snow showers. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone. It's now time for the WTBR Jobs Board, underwritten by Interprint, Inc. and in Pittsfield. Interprint offers eight-hour fixed shifts, competitive wages, and excellent benefits. To join the growing Interprint team, search Interprint's job openings on Indeed.com and apply today. The
1: Pittsfield Public Schools has an opportunity for you. They're looking for bus drivers, bus monitors, and cafeteria helpers. These part-time positions come with great starting pay and benefits. For more information, go to Pittsfield.net and click on the Job Openings tab. Greylock Federal Credit Union is looking for bilingual employees to fill multiple different positions. Visit graylockorg careers today to learn more.
2: Greylock Federal Credit Union, equal opportunity employer. The WTBR jobs board was underwritten by Interprint Inc. in Pittsfield, the number one decor designer and printer for the world's finest laminators. To join the growing Interprint team, search Interprint's job openings on indeed.com and apply today. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union,
1: proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at graylock.org. And from BeFair, BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Maddalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, 9 people are killed and more than a 1,000 are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Good morning. Welcome back to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM Pittsfield Community Radio Simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and available on all of your popular podcast platforms My name is Mike Wynn. I'm the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield and I'm also one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this allegedly weekly radio program I'm joined in studio this morning by lieutenant Matt Hill who is working the soundboard. Good morning, lieutenant.
2: Good morning, chief
1: How you doing today?
2: been better been worse all relative
1: (laughs) thank you for your honesty Uh, the lieutenant is being coached by smart gary munn who is over there uh you know minding minding the store making all the tech works as, as designed and intended it's been a while since we've had captain gary traversa in studio he had uh he had to deal with some family stuff real quickly and that rolled into scheduled vacation i feel like i promoted him and then he disappeared (laughs) <laughs> that's not fair <laughs> everything was kind of on the books but he uh he's and he's been available the entire time mm-hmm. so we should give credit where credit is due he's actually been doing a lot of work uh, we haven't had officer derby in studio since like ever um and just he gave the dog and he yeah he, he got the comfort dog and he was like well that's it i'm done with the radio program we're gonna have to recruit some new people and we are joined in studio this morning by our special guest, uh, Director Andy Camby, the Director of Public Health for the City of Pittsfield, the uh, uh, city's representative to the Board of Health. That's probably something we should talk about is the the, the distinction and the, the overlay between the, the two of those. But if you're just joining us, before the break, we were talking to Mr. Camby about uh, his career progression, uh, kind of right up in the no, not quite, but right up until uh, the beginning of the pandemic. So you're just telling us that you were in school and you had taken the new role as senior sanitarian. Yep. So what's the difference between a sanitarian and a senior sanitarian? So
0: the senior sanitarian is the, a supervisor uh, role. Uh, pretty much I, at senior sanitarian, you have to oversee the other two sanitarians and then the nuisance control officer, um, and you kind of become a supervisor to them. And so at, and within that role, I had to become an expert at, at everything pretty much with the inspectional services to provide guidance and also to, you know, make sure that we're all on our special schedule, schedule uh, going out there in a timely manner. Uh, so that, that that's what senior sanitarium role became. It was a supervisor role um, and, and, again, becoming the expert kind
1: of in, in, in the inspectional services. And so your span of control at that point was 3 mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so now you you have some well you had experience in both roles that were reporting to you, so yes. you kind of had uh, you, you had that breadth of knowledge. What kinds of professional development or training are you looking at now as you you move into the senior sanitarian role
0: uh, so pretty much just from staff to supervisor you know I did a, a couple of trainings there where we where I had to learn how to you know communicate with my staff how to get my staff to be motivated um, that was the transition for that to to, to learn how to be able to, to communicate with my staff and be able to get them to uh and all work together and what year did you become the senior sanitarium uh, probably think 2018 2017
1: okay. yeah so is that the role you were in when when the pandemic hit yes that was yep. your title yeah and okay. in that role for two or three years so well So you're a supervisor, you've got these three people reporting to you, now you're not doing the inspections per se. You're overseeing the team that's doing the inspections. Correct. If it's anything like being a police supervisor, you probably had to keep doing some inspections. Yes, yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's always more work than there is available resources. But now you're responsible for scheduling and maintaining the performance metrics of this team. Yes. And at this point, you report directly to Director Armstrong? Yes, So to you're, you're yeah. her mid-management level. Mm-hmm. How many mid managers are in the health department? That was just it. Just it. Yeah, okay. That was the only. So, um, so at that point, did Gina's direct reports include specialists like the public health nurse? That that's, that was separate from inspections. Right?
0: right. They they reported to Gina. Okay.
1: And so you've got inspections, mm-hmm. nursing. What else is in the health department?
0: Uh, our administrative staff. Okay.
1: Yeah. Got it. So like three functional areas, but you're you're kind of the. You're the only mid-manager with direct reports at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just trying to get clarity here. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because I was thinking about this this morning before I came in. Obviously, I was aware for most of my life that there there was a public health component to public service, to municipal service. I know this because when I was a little kid and the health department lab was still in 39 Allen Street, I unfortunately, and well, I wasn't a sickly child, I was pretty much, you know, plagued annually with strep throat. And in the seventies, way back in the olden times, if you got a sore throat and your parents thought that you might have strep throat and you needed to get a throat culture, you went to thirty nine Allen Street. You came in through the Dunham Mall entrance, went up the <laughs> north stairs, and the health lab was where our crime lab is now. And so once once a year my mom would trot my brother and I down there and do that thing. I hated it.
2: The after-hours drop box for those was still outside that station for several years. For
1: several years. Uh, until I got my first COVID test, I thought the strep throat test was the worst thing ever. Then COVID changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in the senior sanitarian role. You're overseeing this team for a couple of years. And then COVID hits. Mm-hmm. And I will say, we've talked about this a lot. We had Gina on several times during the, the you know, upswing of the pandemic up until that point my knowledge and and my interest my professional interest in the department of public health was fairly minimal and it was kind of selfish right we we interacted as required with code enforcement occasionally we would make references to nuisance control but really our big interest in public health is when are you coming to give us our flu vaccines and do we have to go back down for a hepatitis booster like that? That was where the police department and the health department interacted. And so now the pandemic is, you know, it's coming. We know it's coming. It's 2020. We've talked in the on previous episodes about how I, I actually was scheduled to leave town. Like that week I was supposed to be starting a vacation and to make some real quick pivots and calls. And so we declared the locally, we declared the emergency and, uh, i and some of our staff move into an emergency management role temporarily well we're trying to figure this out but for really the first time in my career for real not in an exercise not in a drill public health became the incident commander for this response so we're assembling a unified command a command and general staff to deal with this public health emergency and police and fire aren't calling the shots anymore Public health is calling the shots and we're playing a supporting role uh, in in pretty much our supporting role is logistics and planning. That's that's, you know, you've got the front facing expertise, you and Gina in this case and Kayla and uh, we're just tell us what to do. Right. Tell us what to do. Tell you what. Tell us what you need. Um, So what was it like in the health department when all of a sudden you see this tsunami crashing over the country? And you're in charge
0: it was it was scary uh i mean w- we had not prepared for it but we always knew that someday something might happen you know we knew and i, and I think all department heads you know such as fire and and uh, police they knew that uh, prepare for emergencies yeah. um so it was great that we were all able to collaborate uh and then you know gina took that strong role as with kayla as far as dealing with the communicable disease part and, and working with the state Uh, and making sure that, uh, because we were kind of getting, we were mostly getting our directives from the state, from their infectious uh, program, infectious disease program, of how to deal with this, because this was brand new. (coughs) Um, We hadn't been, a a pandemic hadn't happened in a long time, so it was brand new, and and, and so, yeah, it was scary at first, um, but it was, after a couple of days or so, we kind of just got into the rhythm of getting our education, Reporting to you know zoom calls, listening to what the state was giving us directives and 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 learning as we go by you know how to deal with this with our population, how to deal with this with with closures with 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 what can open you know each everything was closed right away and then and then so we had to go through that learning curve about all right at what stage can this uh business reopen at what stage can that business reopen so it was a lot of uh learning a lot of zoom calls for that
1: a lot of zoom a lot of prior to a lot of zoom calls there was a couple week period it's just a lot of conference calls yeah right everybody was trying to figure out how to get zoom um you know i think prior to the pandemic none of our none of our pcs had zoom some of us had ring central none of nobody had zoom a couple of us had skype like the whole video conferencing thing mm-hmm. was just a it, it was a whatever uh then it suddenly became like essential zoom on our phones now yeah <laughs> um so the pandemic hits. Everything closes. It's a different world. Uh, we start hearing the term or the expression "essential worker" for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my career, and and we shift into this into this crisis response mode. And I've said this you know several times during the you know since the declaration of the emergency and kind of as we move back to restoration of normalcy. The the idea of a public health response to a pandemic wasn't new to anybody in emergency management. For years, we had been doing planning exercises and tabletop exercises centered around pandemics. We actually have like a pandemic planning group within the Regional Homeland Security, uh, um, Security Council. But I think in all honesty... We, we planned around the idea of the pandemic because we had seen things out there in the world like SARS and H1N1 and, and bird flu. Those are the same, I think. Um, and, and public health responses, pandemic responses require everyone to play. You need every branch of government and, and every entity and all the NGOs to come to the table and so we kind of like did it as a doomsday scenario, but we, in, you know, in my opinion anyway, we did it so it would get everybody or most everybody to the table. But we considered it to be a planning exercise for the big terrorist event. Right? We didn't we didn't think that the first time we were going to stand up a command and general staff was going to be for a pandemic. It just it was an easy one to pick to make sure that we got everybody. In the mix so we knew who all the key players were and then the first time i actually got put in an emergency management role was in fact for a pandemic so it was mm-hmm. it was kind of like a very rapid perspective shift uh and like you said you're getting direction from the commonwealth mm-hmm. from you know mass department of public health and that's coming down and you've got to make you you know gina and you and kayla have to make Game day calls on how you're going to take this guidance and implement it locally. Nobody's going to be happy with the decisions that you make. Anything that's going to apply across the board requires approval of the Board of Health. Correct. They are not municipal employees. They don't work our schedule. So you got to convene emergency meetings. you got to get, you know, many, several members of the Board of Health have medical backgrounds, but not all of them, correct? Right. And they've got to make a decision and put their stamp of approval on something. And then it falls to your team to carry this out. Correct. Yeah. And so we didn't, you and I didn't interact a lot at this time. We were talking about this recently. Uh, So one of the things that we saw elsewhere in the Commonwealth would be a board of health would put in a mask mandate or a social distancing mandate, let's say for grocery stores and they would empower the police department to go do this and then the police are i'm not going to say powerless but you're not going to arrest people for not complying with a board of health recommendation or requirement, although technically you could. You'd have to go through an administrative warrant process. But in many parts of the Commonwealth, it really put police departments in a difficult position because they're trying to enforce something that at the initial contact is unenforceable. And then if they don't get compliance, they have to go through another administrative process to get the police powers. And so in Pittsfield, we made a decision that the police department would not be the front facing Agency for these requirements, which put it back on you and your team. Yes. Uh, and so, I think supermarkets were probably the one that that was like the the first big wave right that's how do you how do you shop how many people can be in the store what's required to be in the store what does the store have to have in place mm-hmm. that's that's where we got you know directional arrows and odd and even aisles exactly yeah, yeah. it's
0: so we opening them up and as you mentioned yeah that that's I feel the same way that you know I think and this can be a learning experience for everyone within the Commonwealth that you know next time or anytime we have an emergency is just to designate uh, when it's public health you know have public health officials help uh, with this enforcement or, or giving that guidance because uh, and and that might have been where a lot of the mixed emotions came from asking and, 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 and social distancing um, because it was different parties saying it. But I think what's important to understand is that this is a public health directive. It's it's not about violating anyone's rights. It's, it's about what the public health department feels is best for the public uh, with stopping the spread are slowing the spread um you know masks are not nothing new they've been around forever so you know we were called the mass police uh at one point and and it it was far from that you know it it was you know masks have always been around and we were just advocating for the fact that this is a protection measure that you can take so that you can shop safely shop uh and go around your community protecting everyone from the community
1: so uh, language matters particularly when you're talking about. Um, government action and I think one of you, so you just you know you used a word that I hadn't used so at one point we had mandates and directives and recommendations right. it, and so you know you would, we would get some guidance maybe from Gina say you know the Board of Health voted on this and it's a masking directive and so we we'd have officers having conversations like yeah and the Board of Health said this like, well does that mean I have to you're going to have to ask the Board of Health. Right? Right. <laughs> we're we're just here telling you what the directive says. And so, you know, supermarkets were a big one. Mm-hmm. Restaurants were a big one. Oh, yeah. I, I think locally that kind of caused the most fervor is what was going to be allowed at restaurants, what wasn't going to be allowed at restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you're trying to make adjustments to, because, you know, people, this is people's livelihoods. So then you've got to get other agencies involved. So something as something as simple as curbside pickup for takeout food and the ability for restaurants to be able to offer takeout cocktails. Right. Now you got engineering and highway and licensing, and they all have to get in lockstep with health. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you've got police and fire saying, okay, now this is going to change how we interact with traffic patterns and this is going to change how we interact with bar owners. And so now we have to have a plan based on your plan on how we're going to deal with the, the downstream effects of this, right? it was craziness. It was. It was it craziness. Was.
0: But, you know, I think we all, we all had the best interest. In, Absolutely. In we, we wanted the, uh, the economy to open up as, as, as soon as possible and we're trying, you know, that was part of making things work out. You know, okay, we'll have the cocktails to go party and then stuff like that. So it was in the best interest.
1: So I want to spend a couple minutes talking about um, our second opportunity to kind of work closely together in our, in our professional parallel tracks. So at one point, after I moved over to Second Street with Smart Gary and uh, Mrs. Gregory Ballada, I had to throw up a flare and ask for some help because one of the things the commonwealth did and you know we we've done the after actions on this. I'm going to say that my opinion based on the after action reviews is this was a bad decision. Uh, the commonwealth made a decision that MEMA, the Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency would be the central depository repository for information and protective personal protective equipment for Public safety and the public, but that the, as another entity, I'm going to mess up the abbreviation, the HMCC, hospital and medical coordinating something, was going to be the central repository of information and equipment and supplies for medical providers. That included hospitals and doctor's offices, and at one point, dentist's offices, and then at some point, we found out that also was going to include funeral homes. In mortuaries. And so what was happening is we put, the word got out that we had the Central Berkshire Coordinating Center up and that we were doing PPE distribution. And we started getting requests, my staff and I and the other uh, agencies who were providing staff to us, we started getting requests from say, dentist's offices for PPE. And we had written directives that we couldn't provide it to them. But we couldn't get communication from the HMCC. It, the communication on that they they because we weren't a med- medical entity they wouldn't communicate with us but they weren't receiving the calls we were and we couldn't get help from Mema and then as we started so we made a call it's like look we're gonna do this regardless of what we were told there's a need here we're gonna meet the need but we weren't qualified to decide if these were they were logical and rational requests. We didn't know what some of these people did. So I threw up a flare to Gina, and I was like, I need somebody to take, to come over here and look at these requests and tell me if they're reasonable. I don't have this skill set. So at one point, that was you. Right, <laughs> yeah. You had to, right, yeah. Yeah, you and, had to and, come over and work with us for a while.
0: Right, and then we had Myla Franklin. She worked with us, too, and, and and so she overtook that. So, yeah, you know, we worked
1: together. and We were able to work that together. All right, so... In the middle of the pandemic, you finished school. Yes, the first year. Yeah, and then uh, Gina decides to leave. Yeah,
0: it, it, it was uh, it was very heartbreaking um, because she had worked she worked so much during the pandemic. She was a very strong leader for us. Um, so when she had to leave, you know, it was it was heartbreaking. Um, but she, you know, asked me if I was interested in the interim role and of course you know this was something that i had been looking forward to you know my whole career to someday do uh but you know here i was thrown into it and i said yep you know i'm going to take this opportunity uh you know thank you and 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 she stayed you know as far as in communication we we still are in communication so she's been great in helping me transition into it and so i did an intern for a couple months um, and then I had my uh, interview for the permanent position in December with the Board of Health. They made their decision and I became permanent director December 8th,
1: 2021. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, in the few minutes we have left, Director, mm-hmm. what's next What's next for you and for your office?
0: Right now, it's uh, finishing staffing the department up. Um, we had a couple of vacancies, um, so now we are getting all new uh, employees in there, which I'm excited for because it gives us an opportunity to have fresh eyes uh, on, on our department and uh, also foster that environment that I want to modernize uh, the health department, make sure that we're accessible to the community. That's something that I want to work on the most is becoming accessible to the community, uh, being able to work with, with all our, our residents, um, whether it's a restaurant owner that wants to open a restaurant, you know, that's something that I enjoy is just uh, walking through someone that is new to the restaurant business but has the vision of opening up a restaurant. So I'll walk them through their plan review of the restaurant setup. I'll walk them through getting the certifications that they need for the restaurant. And then the final, you know, actually permitting them to open up a restaurant. Um, so modernizing that, making sure that I'm accessible, making sure our department's accessible, that's the future for the health department. Uh, and, um, you know, I hope to achieve that in the next year or so.
1: Awesome. So we got a couple minutes left. Uh, uh, Lieutenant, you didn't remind me. To. <laughs> I haven't stopped talking, so you couldn't remind me. Exactly. So I want to thank Andy for joining us this morning, and we're definitely going to have to have you back. Uh, But I I wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about the strange day I had yesterday. So um, yesterday morning, early, uh, I got up and headed out to drive to the Municipal Police Training Committee's relatively new headquarters in Randolph. I hadn't been to the new facility before. uh, And uh, it it was quite the drive across the entire Commonwealth in persistent rain the entire time. But the reason I was going to Randolph wasn't for anything related to Chief's work or the Post Commission. Uh, well, tangentially related to the Post Commission. The reason I was going to Randolph is that the training committee, the MPTC, particularly the uh, defensive tactics program under the new to defensive tactics coordinators, they are in the process of implementing the, the first and probably only significant addition and revision to the defensive tactics curriculum since I became a defensive tactics instructor in like 1997 or 1998. Uh, and this addition and revision is significant because it's something that many defensive tactics instructors have been advocating for for a long, long time, but we just couldn't o- overcome the inertia and the institutional momentum of what was out there. And why it's so significant is it's ground-based it's jujitsu based it's not stand-up based so the uh the name of the course the new course is ground control and Deescalation tactics managing people in crisis and while it's appropriate and suitable for criminal situations and arrests it really is designed to spend a lot of attention on non-criminal apprehensions of subjects or patients um and so The program was put together. They've been working on it for well over a year. I've been in correspondence with some of the gentlemen involved in developing this program. But the hope was to run four groups of defensive tactics instructors through this pilot. I guess it's an upgrade, right, to get the DT instructors certified in this new stuff so they can roll it into the academies and in service. And so I was in the fourth group. There's about 130 of us who attended these four pilots. Uh, And listen, I'm not... Sharing this because you know, I want to toot my own horn, but this was not your typical, you know, show up for DT research or upgrade and, you know, handcuff, 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 take a break, baton draw, baton draw, blah, blah, blah. This was four hours of solid ground based defense, um, controlling. We, we took hydration breaks, but I. I got smoked, (laughs) right? We trained for four hours with very limited breaks, and I was sweating like I had come through a a two-hour jiu-jitsu seminar. And so I'm very excited about that. Uh, I hope that we get the rest of our DT instructors through it. I want to commend the team that put this together because this is a significant change for the Commonwealth. It's long overdue. It directly supports our law enforcement jujitsu program, and it's going to give us uh, core curriculums that we can now focus attention on that when our people go to in-service, the LEJJ program will be directly aligned. And it gives us an idea of what we should be training our cadets, our student officers on before we send them to the academy. So game changer for the Commonwealth. Shout out to uh, Dwayne Forts, Steve Wojnamuth, and uh, Chucky DeChara, who, who implemented this change. I'm excited and proud to have been included in that we are just about out of time you have been listening to on patrol with the ppd on wtbr 89.7 fm we got 40 seconds left lieutenant plans for the weekend
2: uh stay healthy
1: <laughs> smart gary plans for the weekend grocery shopping, grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> director Canby plans for the weekend probably some yard work yard work yeah, nice already spring i got i got a, a muay thai seminar scheduled this saturday i'm excited i haven't had the opportunity to meet crew mark delagrade from citadon boston he's coming out to work with us for a couple hours on saturday have more on that next week thanks for tuning in with us this week join us next week for another new episode until then be safe be healthy but most importantly be kind we're 10